This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and it is December 3rd, and uh, we're almost done with 2020, and I don't know about you, but uh, I'm kind of ready to get started on um, a good foot and to get uh, going with something new and something exciting. And one of the new exciting things I have discovered is that um, a new book series, and it is by a gentleman named a sci-fi uh, series by a gentleman named Lyndon Hardy. And Lyndon Hardy became interested in fantasy while wandering through the fringes of fandom when he was at Caltech. In addition to reading and writing, he has sporadic bursts of enthusiasm for collecting stamps and playing cards. As of yet, he has not figured out a plot line for Stamp Collector Who Saves the World. I'm pretty bet, I bet we could probably come up with something today. Um, he publishes three fantasy novels for Valentin Del Rey in the 1980s, and now they are available again. While at Caltech in 1961, he organized and led what has been called the best college prank ever pulled, the Rose Bowl card stunt caper. And you could find his latest book, Double Magic, out now, and then you can find him on his website, Facebook, and Amazon. Welcome to the show today, Lyndon. How are you? Oh, hi, Patricia. Excuse me. At my <laughs> age, I need a little help sometimes. Uh, not a worry. Oh, hi, not a worry. So, Thanks for uh, having me. Of course. I am so excited. You know, my husband has read your books, and he was so funny because he said, oh, there's this author. He's finally gotten this this book out that I've been waiting on forever. And um, I I asked him about it, and he told me, and, and I said, oh, that sounds really interesting. And you had put a call out for beta readers for your latest book. That's correct. And when you, right. And how did that go? Did it go pretty well? Uh, better than I expected. Uh, yeah. Some, yeah. I thought I had written this tight, well-crafted novel with no holes in it whatsoever, and son of a gun, there were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It um, It's amazing that I think when we look at our stuff too long, um, we just figure we're filling in the holes, I think, and then someone else reads it and says, wait a minute, what about this part? And you think, exactly. you didn't see that? It's I didn't put that teleport that out of my brain onto the page. Um, right. So, yeah. But the best, uh, one of the fun parts about this was I said, I wonder if he'd like to be on the show. And when I reached out to you and you said yes, my husband was just like, how did you, how did you do that? I said, I just asked him. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's how it goes. That's, sometimes it's, that's all you do. Um, just ask. And so it's been delightful talking with you back and forth for the past few weeks, but one of the things I I am just absolutely thrilled about, other than your books, but I have to know more about this wonderful prank you pulled many years okay. ago. And uh, and it's how much, um, <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I can talk a little about it. Well, okay. Well. Yeah, I mean, so basically you guys, for people who are listening, um, a lot of football games will have cards that you put up, say, at halftime or third quarter, and it spells out things. Um, so right. some people some people might be familiar with um, Yale 
uh, messing with Harvard a few years ago when they got them to write, put, you know, put up, we suck, um, meaning Harvard sucked, and um, Yale instigated this. But it was, you guys started this in 61. I mean, this, was, this is where you started. I mean, why do it at all? Well, let's see. First of all, we're not the first to do it. I, I don't know historically how many there have been. But uh, Caltech <laughs> is a small uh, college. At the time mm-hmm. it was there, it was men only. A lot of frustration, therefore, because there weren't any co-eds. And uh, we had a football team. We were in a, a league. And our home mm-hmm. field was the Rose Bowl, believe it or not. Here we have a right. school, 700 students, and the Rose Bowl is our home field. And wow. We just, we, we just thought... You know, to go to one of the games is really amazing. Your seats are wonderful. They're right there on the 50-yard line. And there are about 50 people there on the other side of the stadium, about another 50. Anyway, we <laughs> said, you know, the, the, the thoughts of Caltech, football, and Rose Bowl being together in the same sentence are vanishingly small. So what can we do to do something to make that happen? And right. so that was the genesis of trying to do this. And it uh, it took a little work. Uh, I had to just make a lot of phone calls and eventually found that the uh, football team was staying in downtown Long Beach and talked over the phone to one of the uh, players who helped me. And he said, oh, no, no, the cheerleaders are coming in in a couple of weeks, and they're going to stay at what is uh, Cal State Long Beach. And so when they showed up I uh, at a dorm, I went in and said I was a high school newspaper reporter. And I'm doing an article for my high school newspaper on how one does card stunts. And, and you were three, 19, so it was reasonable to believe that you yeah, were a high school student. Right. Yeah, That's right. I'm not the biggest guy in the world anyway, so it worked out. <laughs> uh, and so they're very helpful. He said, well, what you do is, and he reaches under his bed and pulls out a satchel. And he opens it up and says, see, these are the instruction sheets. One sheet for each card stunt, and the squares are colored in. And this is wow. what's going to be on the instruction cards. And here are the instruction cards. You see, <laughs> in card number whatever, it says blue, card three, you know, all this stuff. So I thanked them very much and left. And then after they were gone, I uh, went back and uh, got into the room. Well, I didn't know. I had help. Uh, one of the pastimes at Caltech is learning how to pick locks. <laughs> and... Uh, it's taught by upperclassmen to incoming freshmen, and I don't know if I'm still doing that or not. But anyway, uh, I had a very good lock picker with me, and he got the room open, and I went in, and I just took one instruction card. Okay. This one. Then I went back to a printer, and I said, I'd like to have a 2,300 of these printed up. And he said, well, we can do that. Wow. I said, you don't understand. I want these to be exactly like these. Right. No different type font, none of that font, none of that stuff. He said, Oh yeah, we can do that. So I got him printed and when I got him back, oh my face fell. I said, Wait a minute. You got the printing right, but the color is all different. He says, No, no, that's it's right. But look at the difference. I showed him the card. He says, Oh, that's because it's faded with age. He said, We know, new oh. stock. I said, oh, what are we gonna do? And so we tried for a day to figure out how to dye them, and we, that wouldn't work. So we said, well, it's going to go, go for it. This. So we laid out all the instruction cards out on our, in, our, in our dorm's uh, dining room, just laid them uh-huh. all out. And well, excuse, excuse me, we went back a second time, and they weren't there. It was, in fact, it was uh, New Year's Eve, I think, and got 
all the instruction sheets. Then we okay. came back and started stamping cards. And what we did is, well, we don't want to mess everything up. We don't want to make something offensive. They put a lot of work into this. We're just going to pick three stunts in the middle that we're going to change. And right. So, and there are, I don't know, 17 stunts. Still more time for me to continue talking? <laughs> oh, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> um, so we started putting stamps on these things. And son of a gun, if you have something like 14 card stunts and uh, 2,300 people, that's an awful lot of stamps. That is. To go in and stamp each card. So we're doing this. And then for three of them, we decide we're going to change. Now, okay. the mascot for Washington is a husky. Mm-hmm. The mascot for Caltech is a beaver. So we rounded the ears of the husky and gave him buck teeth. <laughs> so it looks kind of, kind of funny, but, you know, you come up, people look at it, scratch your head, and if they're okay, they'll continue. Then the next stunt was the University of Washington spell-out. And the way you do a spell-out is you, when you look at your instruction card, you'll have your color you show up and also a little mm-hmm. number after it. And the yellow leader will start counting out numbers, one, two, three, four. And when you hear your number, you flip your card to the other side. And okay. the effect will be script will come out. You know, start with the W and go across and finish and everything. Sure. So what we, we did, we reversed the numbers. So that the first card will come up will be the end of the swirl, the end of Washington, and go back up and end up with the W. Again, you're watching that. You may think, well, this is a little strange. And then right. we figure, well, we're pressing our luck too much. The third one is going to be Caltech, <laughs> this black on yellow. And Mel, probably you're all too young. Remember Mel Allen, the radio, uh, TV announcer, radio and TV announcer, did a lot of TV. Right. He, he was following a script, and he was talking through the first two okay, and he came to this, and he was just silent. There was dead air on national television for 30 seconds. Now, and then the yell leader didn't know what the next stunt was going to be, and so he marched right. everybody off the field, and we didn't end up finishing the thing. So <laughs> they went back, and we, an anonymous caller called LA Times, and something funny happened at the Rose Bowl, and they investigated, and they concluded that somehow some of the people at Caltech infiltrated the card stunt section, and convince people to ignore the instructions on their cards and do what they told them to do instead. Wow. Wow. So, and that was not it at all. I mean, 2,000, you alter 2,000 sets of yeah. instructions. In, in, a, in a very short period of time, yeah. But And we didn't have any idea it was going to catch on the way it did. That wasn't one of our thoughts at all. It was, uh, can we do this? I mean, we're not sure. doing anything at the start and pull this off. And in this... It's gotten a life of its own over the years. I mean, that's just, you know, and it's one of those, my, my, I was telling my daughter about it um, when I was looking into this, and she's like, you know, those are the kind of pranks I like. We're not hurting anybody. It's not, right. it's just silly and fun, and it's just kind of unexpected. Um, right. Yeah, it's just, it's just, but I mean, that took an immense, immense amount of thought. How many people did work we, with you on this? Well, I'm not sure exactly, because people would come in when we were stamping the cards into our dining room and do some and go away. But we okay. settled on the, on the fact that we were the fiendish 14. Yes, yes. 
And this whole, <laughs> that's what it is for public consumption. I don't know how many people. Right. Well, and it's easy because you get to be part of that. And so if anybody wants to look at the, at the details of this, um, if you go, and, uh, there's a Wikipedia page. And it says the Great Rose Bowl Hoax. Um, and it's on there, and it's all written up. Um, and then there is a YouTube video, uh, not necessarily of the actual movement of the cards, but, I mean, p- snapshots and pictures and stuff. So, uh, but, yeah. And then it said in here also that, that um, a similar hoax by Caltech in 18, um, not 1984 inspired um, to change the scoreboard to show Caltech leading its rival MIT, but it was yes. actually UCLA playing Illinois. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, so it, and then there was another one in 2014 that Caltech students built a large white Pasadena sign overlooking the stadium, and then just before halftime, they turned on the lights, which spelled out Caltech. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's just a, tra- a tradition of the school, and sometimes stunts work, sometimes they don't. There have been other right. attempts in the Rose Bowl, which did not work. So, anyway. <laughs> do you um, do, do any of these students reach out to you and ask you about this when they're thinking of the next great thing to do? Well, let's see. When, when, we, when it happened, we all agreed that what's important was the stunt, not the people's names. All sure. our name does is clutter up as a footnote or something. And so we were silent for 50 years. Wow. And at the 50th anniversary of the stunt, uh, Caltech Public Relations, the Caltech campus knew, called me up and said, you please break your silence. (laughs) Because it'll be 60 years this January. Mm. It'll be 60 years next month. That's right. So 10 years ago, it became public who all was involved. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's fun. And then, so during all that time, you're, you know, creating these great stunts, um, but you're going to school and you're um, studying physics. Right. And you end up getting a PhD in that from Cal Berkeley. Um, yeah. And then this whole time you've been inspired by different authors, I assume, sci-fi authors. Uh, what were kind of your go-tos growing up reading? Well, let's see. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> Isaac Asimov. Uh-huh. He had the, the three laws of robotics. Right. And all his stories evolve from what's happening with the laws and things about them. And besides reading science fiction, I also I actually I like fantasy more than science fiction. Okay. And I uh, read fantasy, and maybe it's my scientific background. I don't know. I didn't like the idea that a fantasy novel can go along and there are no laws. I mean, right. the narrative tension it can be low. Maybe at the last scene, the hero will remember, oh, I know, I'll call up the what's am go and <laughs> do that and defeat the villain and go forward. And so I, for many years, I wanted to write a book that was based on fantasy having definite laws, that there are constraints. Mm-hmm. They're not omnipotent. And furthermore, that it's not um, mystical, that magic was this, a way of life. I mean, there were people who were uh, uh, workmen who were building buildings, and they used magic to do that. Mm-hmm. There was an alchemist who, you know, he was your a pharmacist at the time, and so on. But they all had constraints. And so finally, one day, uh, one evening, I guess, my wife said, hey, look at this. 
the adult school, Torrance, uh, I live in Torrance, California, mm-hmm. adult school is having a course on, titled Writing to Sell. So I went to this course and ended up getting in a writer's group, and over several years I ended up doing research and what kind of make the laws to be and everything, and writing this novel in which it was the milieu was this magic, it was an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. And that, so I did that and uh, got it published uh, traditionally. And, okay, I checked it off my life list. And uh, <laughs> four years went by. And then I got a uh, letter from uh, Lester Del Rey, who is the editor. He was a early first-generation, very famous science fiction writer. and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing another book? Well, yeah. I hadn't. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, I'll give that a try. And so I ended up writing a trilogy back in the 80s. Okay. And then I thought I was done. Uh, then life goes on. I, uh, I worked full time um, and got to the point where I retired. And I said, hmm, maybe, maybe I'll start writing again. And that's what I've done. And now I've written three more books. Uh, one thing oh. I do in my series is it's not really a series. Well, it is, I mean, because they're book one through six. But each right. one has a different set of characters and a completely different story. So okay. you can read them in any order without knowing anything about any of the rest of them. That's not quite true okay. with books four and five because the romantic story I couldn't quite finish in the book and had to write another book to finish it. But other than that, you could pick up any one and just read it and hopefully enjoy it and then go back and maybe you'll read some more. I don't know. Yeah. So what was when you started writing, What when was that? Like uh, well, the, the, first book, the first book was published in 1980, and I okay. started writing, working on it, uh, oh, probably four or five years before then. Maybe, okay. Think of that. Maybe it was seven years before then, just going to the library, pulling out books on the occult, and going through all yeah. that jibber-jobber <laughs> and uh, trying to extract from it what ultimately became my rules of magic, the laws of magic. And, uh, when you were writing and taking the class in the 70s, and then you've come back and written again, what were those? Um, what was the hardest thing that you had to, that you started with um, when you started writing? Is it and was it still difficult now when you picked everything up again? Uh, it's less difficult now because okay. part of writing is having confidence that what you're writing sure. might have have some merit to it. When you write your first book, I don't know, other people, maybe they're very confident to start with, I don't know, is this any good, am I wasting my time? But once you've done that and published some things, then it's just a matter you can just sit down and I'm going to write some today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, fact, too, yeah, yeah. a lot of my friends say, actually, this, the first book is hard because you're just trying to figure out your way. But the yeah. second book is harder because now people know you can finish the first book. So if you've not finished, you've not you've got something else to yeah. say. They're like, and where is it? Yeah, there's that. There is that. Uh, <laughs> my first three books were published traditionally, so they were okay. deadlines. And so that's something you had to worry about. Uh, sure. When I, I retired, I got the rights back to my first three books and, and self-published uh, books four, five, and six. So I don't have that problem. I just have to make sure I do as good a job as I can for what I write. Sure, sure. Do you um, format your books yourself, or do you have a program that you use? 
I, I wrote a program. Uh, the ebooks are easy because there's just you got to do it a certain way for you know either an uh, Mobi for Amazon or EPUB for the other uh, vendors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for print, I want to have several little things. I want to have the, the chapter titles be a little fancy, have a glossary and all sorts of other things. I wrote a program that packages up my stuff after I have it finished. Nice. That's wonderful. And so you've got, when you got that call or you got that letter asking for another book, um, did you have more stories that you wanted to tell or did you have to go back and say, okay, what could I write about? (laughs) What can I write about? (laughs) Okay. Okay. And every every one of my books does have a scientific background to it. It would uh-huh. be called hard science fiction uh, if it weren't for the fantasy overlay. But I have to have a spark of an idea that's going to be the theme of it. We're talking about still laws and things of that type. And that comes sometimes, sometimes it got, uh, doesn't. The, the second book was easy for, fairly easy. Uh, and the third book, I didn't have any idea until I remember one morning I was shaving <laughs> and all of a sudden it hits me, wait a minute. I can write about the demons. What goes on in there the realm of demons? And so that became the third book. And so you've got the first book was The Master of the Five Magics, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then The Secret of the Sixth Magic, and then Riddle of the Seven, Seven Realms. Yeah. Okay. I have one thing to tell you about the second book, Secret of the Sixth Magic. Uh, if you publish with a publisher, you have very little say how the book is going to come out. But you're right. so happy you're being published, so you go along with it. Anyway, I was asked to write a sequel, and uh, I wanted to call the the title of the book Meta Magic, because it was about okay. not about the laws of magic, but the laws about the laws of magic, <laughs> which is you have to okay. wrap your brain around it a little bit. And my editor, Lester Royer, says, No, 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 that'll never sell. We're going to call the book The Secret of the Sixth Magic. And I said, But, 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 but. There is no right. magic. <laughs> he says, here's what you do. Halfway through the book, you have your protagonist say, hmm, I wonder if there's a sixth magic. And then he'll say, no, I don't think so. And then you go no. on the rest of the book. And that took care of it. And that took care of it. That's it. That's what you do. Did you have much say over the, the cover? None. Okay. Traditionally, I have no say so much to the cover. The first cover was tremendous. It helped the sales a lot. The same artist yeah. did the second and third cover, and they missed uh, it missed the boat for both of them totally. Okay, okay. Well, um, have you designed the covers that you have now? I well, I use help online help, uh, and a, a friend who's an artist, and uh, he's done the covers for me for books four, five, and six. Do your grandkids have your grandkids read your books? Uh, no, they haven't. They're not interested at all in the subject. My <laughs> one of my daughters, uh, when she was in, I guess, uh, middle school, she would sneak up after school and see what I'd written the night before. Oh wow! And ended up breaking into tears at the what she thought the ending was for the second book. And so I taught her a lesson, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, but no, <laughs> nobody present generation. Well, if you go to Amazon for my books, you'll see it's classified under classic fantasy. Because right. I'm writing 
and the style back from, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Uh, it's not the kind of science fiction or fantasy that you see now. So maybe right. the younger readers really aren't that interested in it. I don't know. Maybe, or on the other hand, maybe some will say, hey, maybe this is okay. We'll see. Right. Well, and I think it just depends, honestly, on what kind of um, what kind of mood you're in. Quite honestly, um, mm-hmm. because it just uh, it, it just varies. You know, every style of writing is different, and I think sometimes people want to mix it up a little bit and, and see how things see how things have, are the same and different um, from writing not too long ago, actually. So, do you have any other um, projects or stories that you're thinking about writing? Are you you good with six? Oh, uh, well, I've thought of the basic idea that's going to be the theme of the seventh book. Okay. And that's that's having to do with dark matter, which we don't understand anything about. So, you know, everyone says dark matter, we don't react to it. It passes right through us, you know, and so on, and it's here. Well, suppose really they're in dark matter, there's a whole other civilization. And that's as far as I've got with the thinking about it. But anyway, that's, wow. that's going to be the seventh book. Okay. Well, I mean, it's. I think it's fun that you're you're hitting a subject that we don't know a lot about. So that really opens you up to a lot of freedom um, to kind of translate it. But when you're writing that, do you, because of your background, do you always make sure that the math would work or the the actual the factual stuff sticks, and then you just kind of expand on that, or how do you how, how do you decide what to write? Well, that's a very good question. I try to make sure that all the science that is in the books uh, is correct. I may yes. make a mistake, but I try to make it correct. But since it's not a this per se hard science fiction, we had the sure. fantasy overlay. I can do what I want with the fantasy. Right. And, uh, and so I'm I'm okay there. But that's one reason why uh, I wanted to have some people to look for plot holes, because yeah. hey. You know, I can say, wait a minute, you can't do this. You said back in book three that there were a limit to whatever, whatever. Right. Yeah, that's. Um, I've gone to several workshops and, and listened to different people talk about story Bibling, basically, and, and, you know, you want to keep that consistent thread. And, um, you know, as writers, we people think that we just completely know our stories backwards and forwards, day or night. And, <laughs> right. Um, you know, we're we're definitely human. Um, so yeah, having those readers come back and go, but you said and da da da. So that's always a good thing to have that. I I have not I have not come up with a good system of how to organize my series at all. Um, which that's my goal for next year. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a process, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And well, and that's part of the of the joy of it is that I think you're continually learning. Mm-hmm. Now, and that's one reason why I want to write books that are different with the underlying theme and with different characters every time, as opposed to taking, okay, let's see, where was Joe at the end of book four? Uh, that happened. Let's pick him up the next day and go on for there with, an, you know, another of the same. Right, uh, I want right. To... Have you had characters that your readers have asked you about and you had no intention of ever writing about them? Any more about them? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. Uh, the only reason I didn't mention about every book is different. The exception is books four and five, as I say, that the 
uh, main two characters, uh, their romantic arc wasn't, I didn't feel satisfactorily completed at the end of the of a book four. And so sure. I finished that off in, in book five. And has um, does your wife help you with any of the editing? Or do you have an uh, editor that comes in? I do not have an editor. Uh, okay. My wife does not help. She doesn't care anything at all about science fiction or fantasy. <laughs> uh, she, she's an avid reader, and she uh, I, I appreciate that. She says, hey, this is a good book. You should read this too. And that's where my horizons are uh, broadened in, in my own reading experience. But nice. she is not a fantasy or science fiction reader. But we've been married for 54 years, so I guess it's going to work out. Uh, yeah, probably, probably. Um, does do you have a uh, words of advice for those who want, wonder how you've gotten 54 good years of marriage? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, the first thing you have to do is be extremely lucky. <laughs> you know, when you think of how many people are the opposite sex out there, and to find one that you're going to, you know, enjoy for that much long period of time. Uh, sure. is pretty remarkable. And I yeah. think uh, what my wife does exceedingly well is she is tolerates my shortcomings. And uh, I try to do the same for her, but that's a pretty easy job for me. <laughs> you probably just won some major brownie points saying that. You know that, right? <laughs> no, she's not listening. So. <laughs> oh, well, maybe she'll maybe listen down, later. So. Yeah, later. <laughs> That's wonderful. So you're thinking you're writing this other book. When do you think you'll be de- the? What is your set deadline? What are you setting your deadline for? Well, it takes me. Well, it'll take me a year. Okay. Uh, I, I do have other things to do in my life as well, and so oh, I, hope, hope, I hope to get it done in a year. But okay. I can say all I have now is the basic idea. I mean, you need a lot more than I don't take the basic idea and sit down and write chapter one. I do like sure. to have some some idea of where I'm going. So, Do you write like the first chapter to the end or do you write scenes or, and put it together? How do you, what is your process? Well, I do write by chapters and, but they are short chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I think one thing it may help a reader. I just can't quite put it down yet. Oh, because there's the next chapter. I mean, I'll read that one too. And maybe right. that'll just pull them through the book. So yeah, short chapters. And I try to write a chapter a week. Okay. Okay. What is and your I, what is the best writing advice you've ever gotten and what is the worst? Well, let me think. <laughs> uh, well, uh I don't know if I'm let me back up and say. Uh the best write advice I can give and I don't know who I got it from is get in a writer's group. Mm-hmm. Get in a group of like-minded people who are also struggling to get their work out. And what you do is you meet maybe once a week. And the fact that you're reading once a week, and oh, I got to write something because we're going to read a little bit of what we've written this past week. That pulls you along. And mm-hmm. you're among people who are very sympathetic. They understand what you're going through. They're very gentle with their comments, and you, you learn an awful lot. That, that's the best advice. And maybe somebody right. told me that in the first place. I don't remember, but that's the best advice I could give. The worst advice, uh, well, 
that's changed. I mean, the way it was back in the 1980s was do whatever your editor tells you. And okay. so that's why the second book is titled The Secret of the Sixth Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now if you do self-publish, then do what you want to do. I mean, yeah. for writing, the important thing is first write for yourself. Mm-hmm. So that when you're done with the book, you say, wow, I feel good about myself because I've written that. And I, th- yeah. I think that's a good book. And then exactly. you know, kick back for a few days and feel good about yourself. Yeah, it, it's interesting how um, being in a writer's group, like you mentioned, um, makes a massive difference in productivity mm-hmm. and uh, momentum even. Uh, yes. It's also it's also nice to have a group of people you don't have to explain while you're writing what you're writing. They already get that you have a story to tell. Yes. So good point. Yeah, yeah. So you're not saying people are saying, So why are you writing about this? And <laughs> why, why are you doing this? Should we don't be you have worried? A job? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. There was my favorite story about that is um I was on a panel and one of the ladies for the sisters in crime group was there. Uh And she said, the reason you want to be in a writer's group is because you can sit with people who get what you're doing. And her example was her, one of her co her friends was going on a second honeymoon with her husband and they were going to Italy and they were going to stay in this castle. Um, and, the woman could not wait to get there so she could figure out how hard she'd have to push someone and where they would land on the sidewalk or the, you know, the ground. <laughs> um, thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Right. And everyone's like, Oh, so how high is the ledge? And, and, you know, how tall is the person and how hard are you going to push them? And are, do, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. do you have to lift them over? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like nobody was worried about, should she be worried? They worried for her husband coming home. Um, and so it's just kind of a nice thing to to walk into that like-minded group, like you're saying. So, yeah. So anybody listening, for sure, get involved. And sometimes you have to try different writer's groups because the first one doesn't yes. work or they're not as serious right. or, yeah. Or some people so are, as, are, don't really play by the unwritten rules in them, you know. Like, right. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. just to digress a little bit of talking about things of that type, uh, travel is a good thing. Here's a story, yes. a little bit I'm going to toss out. I'm not going to use it because I've tried several times and failed. I was in the year with my wife, I don't know, many years ago, and we went to, what is it, the new Swanstein, whatever his castle in Bavaria, King Lu, Mad King Louis Castle. Very yes. impressive castle, you know, and, oh, for fantasy and so on. And I remember going there and walking with him, looking up, and it's near dusk, and all of a sudden an image flashed into my mind of hang gliders. A circle of hang gliders were slowly coming in to land in the courtyard of this castle in order to rescue the princess. And that's as huh. far as I got with it. But anyway, travel it and get some delightful. ideas. It sounds delightful. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound delightful. So if anybody uses that in their book, they have to reach out to Lyndon because you need to tell him that you use that. So yes, he's given it credit. to you guys to work on. <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> so tell me, um, other than uh, your writing, and then you've talked about Asimov, I mean, what movies or books are kind of your go-tos these days? Well, let's see. Another book that uh, resonates with me was when I was 
starting to get serious, and I was taking the notes on what is uh, publishable in magic and so on, I happened to read uh, Nine Princes in Amber by Roger Zelazny. Checked it out mm-hmm. of the library. Never heard of the name before. Finished reading the book, and I said, oh, my gosh, I can't be a writer because I could <laughs> never write anything as good as this. And yeah. I, therefore, I took a year before I could get back to even trying to pick up a pencil again because I thought the bar was set so high in that book. And that's another, I think, book more from the classic era. Right. Well, and I think people need to, you know, and, and I'm sure you figured out at the time you were just trying to figure it out, but a lot of people who say, well, I'd love to write, and they read the finished product. Well, yeah, it's polished, and it's great because it's supposed to be. Well, you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't see the raw one. <laughs> you didn't see the first draft or the tenth draft. Right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like I'm going to exercise every day in the first few weeks. It's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> then you get going and it's a, it's better. So, yeah. Um, or, you know, anything. It's just practice. Practice helps for sure. So, you guys, I know you probably haven't been traveling much right now because of the no. pandemic. But right. um, do you have any trips that you might take in the next year or two? Well, I, uh, my wife and I have been to quite a few of the national parks in this country, uh, mm-hmm. 25, 27, something like that. Uh, but we haven't been east of the Mississippi. And so okay. once these things clear up, I think we want to do some traveling there. The would you drive park. or would you fly? Oh, well, to the east coast we, we would fly, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and I noticed on your bio you said you had lived for a short period of time in Texas. Where were you? Well, see, uh, my family is from Texas. Okay. Uh, my parents came out to California as part of the migration and the Great Depression. Okay. And then after uh, World War II, we went back to Texas for a while. And then finally we came back to California again. And it was in Dallas. Uh, okay. I lived with my grandmother. Uh, in yeah. Dallas. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I live in Dallas for a while, and now I'm in San Antonio. So, yeah, okay, and we well, actually San drove. Yeah. Well. yeah. Oh. San Antonio, okay. Corpus Christi, and Dallas. Uh, places okay. In fact. So you just kind of hit the I-35 corridor there, or I-10 well, corridor. Yeah. It was when I was <laughs> six years old, and yeah. it's not a very, wasn't a very pleasant experience because, in the course of one year, I attended four different elementary schools in three different cities. So, yeah, um, that's rough. That is rough. Um, but, yeah, uh, we drove the kids out to California a couple of years ago. So we uh, went Carlsbad and then through. Oh, yeah. We let them, We stopped at the, uh, the Alien Museum. And it's funny because I was like, oh, you got to see the Alien Museum. And the kids, I just didn't appreciate the fact that they've grown up with uh, so many movies with aliens and so when they walked in they're looking around like what is this place (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) and i said oh yeah that's right you know because you just wouldn't appreciate it like someone in 1948 would be really freaking out um yeah it was very different and then we hit the crater in um arizona um then um, uh, the Grand Canyon, and yeah. then went into L.A. and then hit La Jolla, like to the beach. And 
mm-hmm. um, did a bunch of stuff out there, and drove all the way back. And, I, you know, you look at the map, and I-10, it's like, oh, it's a straight shot from San Diego all the way to San Antonio. That's really long. <laughs> yes, it is. We're in a big country. That's, that's true enough, yeah. <laughs> it's a desperately long drive. <laughs> so... Yeah, so be sure and hit those bathroom breaks when you hit El Paso because there's not much going on after that until you get get to Fort Stockton. It's a long drive. Um, so, yeah, if anybody's taking road trips, remember that. And, well, on the other uh, hand, if you're a writer, this is the perfect time. You don't have any excuses anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, have time, you have time to write. That's right. That's right. And so thank you so much for being here today. I so appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. I hope there's some material out of this you can use. Absolutely. uh, It has been a fun. Well, okay. And so I I didn't find out much about you. You do this periodically, right? I do. I do it once a week. Um, Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I've been doing this for about three, almost four years. Uh-huh. So uh, I think as of now, I have close to uh, 130 plus shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's it's really great because my boss, uh, Sheila English, uh, she is uh, just basically says, go find people to come talk on the show. So I've been lucky enough to have people who want to come on and talk and uh, all sorts of things, you know, fiction, nonfiction, romance, sci-fi, mm-hmm. not, you know, historical, whatever. So it's been delightful to be able to feature authors and talk about their processes and everything else. So it's just been great. So just I feel very lucky that it's something I can continue to do um, with, especially at times like this. So it's yes, been it's right. been wonderful. Yeah. So how does one uh, plug into uh Hearing you, what, 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 what do you, what do you publish? I mean, oh well, um, I'm gonna send you the link for the show, oh, and okay. um, then I'll post it on social media, and um, I, and then you could just all you do is click it, and it will play for you. Sounds great. Thank you. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> I really appreciate you. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, and good luck with your. You have your next week's lined up. Yes, I have actually until the end of March wow. lined up. Yeah, it's either it's either feast or famine, you know, because it's either, you know, I can't find people who want to be up for whatever reason, or everybody. It's like I'm just trying to get everybody in that is sending me requests. So it just it just varies, but hmm. I will take I will take it I will take it for now. So it'll be good. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. Absolutely, and this was Patricia W. Fisher with Lyndon Hardy. He is the author of The Master of the Five Magics, and his latest book, Double Magic, is out now. Uh, So go check him out. I have links to his Amazon page as well as his website and Facebook. So give him a shout, and the best way to reach him is sending him an email. Um, But I will also have his website on here so you can find that. And this has been Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. And keep on reading, everybody. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.